Welcome back, everyone, to Birching the West. I'm your host, Eldon Stahl, with the show that covers all things about being a bircher, an educational activist for freedom in the Western United States. And today, we have a very special guest with us, uh, two of them, actually, Ken and Carolyn Bauer. And uh, they're, they have a little bit of a story about uh, kind of overcoming misconceptions about the JBS, the John Birch Society. So um, welcome both to uh, Ken and Carolyn and uh, so glad we could have you on today. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having us on. Uh, well, I, uh, I'd heard about the John Birch Society back, uh, oh, in the early 60s. Uh, didn't want anything to do with it because I knew it was a communist organization and uh, didn't want anything to do with the communists. So I, I pretty well stayed clear of it. And uh, that was up until, oh, well, when did I start hanging out with, with Dan? That would be- 1980s uh, or 90s? Into the 80s or 90s. So it was, you know, about 20 or 30 years later that uh, I started, hanging out with this uh this friend i knew and and uh uh he ended up getting me to join his political party the independent american party which is uh it's nevada's affiliate of, of the, the constitution party nationally yeah, back then it was a the u.s taxpayers party that was that was founded by uh howard phillips which he worked in the nixon administration for quite a while until he got tired of of uh uh, all the crap that was going on in Washington, he decided he wanted to get away from them and, and form a party that was more uh, more in line with his his politics and stuff. <clears throat> and so we uh, we got talking quite a bit, and and, uh, uh, and he gave me a, a magazine, and uh, this magazine right here. I don't know if any any of you have seen this when this. Uh, conspiracy issue of, of the new American. This isn't it. I, this, I ordered a box of these, but uh, but that one I wore out. I, I read that and read that and read that and and, uh, and he says there's a there's a card in there where you can where you can uh, uh, subscribe to that magazine, which I did, you know. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, I must have been reading this these things for oh I don't know, maybe a little better in a year, I guess. And uh, yeah. he says, we're having a Birch meeting. And I says, uh, Birch meeting, what's that? And he said, uh, the John Birch Society. And I said, well, I wouldn't have anything to do with that. Thing. <laughs> Why not? And I says, well, they're a communist organization. And <laughs> what yeah. are you going to it for? You know, and he says, well, I haven't found it that way. And I says, well, you better do your research. And he says, because. He says, well, where'd you find that out? And he says, man, everybody knows. I've known that since the early 60s. And, yeah, everybody knows that. Yeah. And it's just, <laughs> it's, it's, and so he says, huh? He says, uh, what do you think about that magazine there? And uh, he, he's talking about this conspiracy issue. And I said, man, this is a great magazine here. In fact, I subscribed to it. And I've, you know, I've got quite a few other magazines. And he says, uh, uh who publishes that? And I says, I guess it's New American. I don't know. And I 
So I started looking through it. <laughs> Man, my eyes about fell on my head when I seen it was, it was published by the John Birch Society. <laughs> Whoa, <laughs> what's going on here? And he says, ah, it's probably just more of your communist doctrine, you know, on that. I said, man, I can't believe this. I says, uh, they really published this? And he says, yeah. And he said, you want, a, you want an application to sign up? It'll be about 50 bucks. I said, yeah, I can do that. So I went ahead and signed up. And uh, I was just blown away that everything I've known for, like I say, 20 or 30 years about the John Birch Society just kind of evaporated, you know, and then, uh, uh, and then uh, we started having some meetings and, and then uh, I, I started going to some of those and they'd have some uh, like barbecues and stuff to, to start doing fundraisers and, and get people to kind of join them and stuff and uh, uh, went to some of those and then, then went to some of the, the independent American party meetings and run into a guy of, of all all people. I've got a picture of him here. Uh, oh yeah. I don't know if you can see it, but this first one here is me. Then there's my wife Carolyn. Then there's Sheriff Richard Mack. Uh huh. And then there's Thomas Jefferson. <laughs> That's the friend I knew. And then this this end guy here is uh, Randy Weaver from from oh. Ruby wow. Red. And so. Huh. Uh, that was at a gun show in Elko that our, our political party put on. And uh, we was having a political convention and we put on a, uh, a gun show at the same time. But this, I come to find out that Tom Jefferson uh, was a member of this and he'd been a member since the 60s. And uh, he says, you know, I joined, I, I had to join a little bit different than you. He says, back when I joined, there was so much opposition to, to the John Birch Society. They had to kind of, you, you could get in, you couldn't just hear about it and join it. Your friends had to take you into it and they had to, they had to kind of, uh, kind of admit you in, into the, into the John Birch Society to, to make sure you're, you're solid and that you're a, you know, a, a good constitutionalist and everything. And, uh, he said, the first meeting I went to was in McGill. I, I, this guy was born in, in Milford here, but he, he moved out to, to Ely in, in uh, uh, the early 50s. And I met him after I moved out there. And, uh, and he says that when I first went there, he says, we went to this place in McGill. And she says, this guy was telling me about this, this meetings that they were having, and I was very interested. And he knew I was, I would be, because... He knew my political persuasion. So he says, uh, let's go to this meeting. I says, okay. And he says, you can join this thing and it'll, it'll help you be more patriotic. And they, they do things that, that help to uh, put our government back on under a, a solid footing. And I was thinking, a solid footing back in the 60s? I thought it was solid back in the 60s, you know. But uh, that's, how, that's how close, you know, blind I was back then in, in the 60s. But... Uh, but he says they, they pulled up to the place and, and, and Tom says, don't look like they're home. And he said, let me go check. And he said, I can tell you they're not home. There's no lights on. So he went and he knocked on the door and, and uh, 
there was a guy answered the door and he said he just barely cracked the door open. He didn't see anybody. And uh, he, he says he's got a friend there and, and can he come in? They says, yeah. So he goes back to the car and gets Tom and then he come in. And when they got in the house and they turned some of the lights on and stuff and then they had their meeting and he joined. And uh, he says, that's the way it was for the first few years that, that uh, uh, to, to get the, the Birch Society going. There's so much opposition to it. Wow, that sounds like, oh, sorry to interrupt. That sounds yeah. like some pretty heavy opposition that people were just so concerned that, um, well, was it, would you say it was the media that was mainly driving this uh, suspicion of the John Birch Society and all these uh, kind of misconceptions? With, with Boy, that I don't accurate? know what it was back then. It was, I think the media had a lot to do with it. And, and it's, uh, and, and I found out through him and through this Dan Hansen that, that got me to join that that this being a communist organization was put out that that uh, false narrative was put out by none other than the communists they uh mm -hmm. when they wanted to smear people they always smeared with their own with their own brush you know with their own their own paint so to speak and uh uh and it was, it was well it was pretty effective it was effective on me for 20 or 30 years you know uh before i realized what was uh, what was going on here and uh, and they only wanted good good people into it to begin with. Now it's you know it's kind of loose. They'll let you know if anybody wants to join, they'll let them join, and then they kind of try and re-educate them if they're not educated enough. <laughs> and uh, which I think is a better way to go. But when they first start, but think of that when when they had with that much uh, fear of letting people know you as a member of the John Birch Society. Look at the look at the background checks they done on Robert Welch, the communist done on Robert Welch. I mean, this was saying sixty that the Birch Society was a year old. <laughs> to have that much opposition in a year, uh, they they must have they must have known this this was a this was a deadly organization to them, and they 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 had to nip it in the bud while they could, which they they never did, but. Uh, uh, it's still pretty small, but it's it's yet it's pretty effective, you know, and uh, uh, it was it was quite a surprise to me when I when I found this out, and I thought, oh, if you're that's one way you can tell if you're doing a good job if if there's really opposition to you, you must be on the right side. So uh, yeah, it's like that saying: if you're over the target, you're going to get flack, right? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, and then. Uh, and of course, when Carolyn and I got married, I mean, it was uh, her and her other husband had joined years earlier, so she she was a lot more open to it than I was. But I I, I was quite surprised to find out that I'd had friends from when I was real young in my teens and in my in my early twenties that were already virtued and, and uh, that knew about it and. Uh, and I was the one that thought I knew all about it, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a, that is a neat story. So, so I guess uh, you, you know, you got some information that maybe wasn't quite accurate, and then you read uh, the conspiracy issue. Uh, some of our members are probably newer; they don't remember. I remember that when I was uh, what in I guess finishing high school at the time. I remember when that came out and moving those in boxes and things. My parents. Um, members of course as well uh that that was quite a quite a thing 
that uh, conspiracy issue. I guess the updated one is probably what the deep state book or the the two issues on the, the deep state from the New American. Yeah, I don't know what what there are now. I mean, we bought a box of these. Oh, I don't know when it was. Were we married yet? Yeah, we were living here, so it was after oh five. We we called them and see and seen if they had some more. And they said, uh, yes, they did. So we bought a box of 100 of them, you know, and uh, started passing them out. We still got about maybe 20 of them left now. And uh, I sent one to a friend in PA, and he read the thing, and, and uh, he got excited about it and says, you know what, I, I loaned it out, you know. So yeah. I sent him another one, and uh, so he told that friend, he said, you can keep that one. Uh when you're done with it, reading it, read it again. And when you're done with it, reading it again, pass it around to somebody else so we can get this going, see if we can't get more members. And uh, he's a little bit too broke to join, but he's back back in PA. He's trying to uh, uh, pass this around to as many people as he can. To He said that was really, he knew a lot about the conspiracies and stuff like that, he said, but this magazine was just a, a complete eye-opener to him, you know. And he'd been in his movement, he thought, for a few years. Yeah. And then I sent him uh, Cleon Skousen's A 5,000-Year Lead. And, oh, that's a good one. Oh, yeah. He he's uh, he, he really thinks a lot of Skousen in his book. He, he says this guy was just absolutely brilliant. You, know? you don't have that on hand to, to show to the viewers, do you? Uh, it's in the other room. I can go get it. Well, that's... Oh. I can talk while it gets yeah, it. Yeah, okay. Carolyn. Okay, yeah, Carolyn, you uh, give you some time to. It's nice to show people the book, you know, if you mention something, yeah, if you have it. But right. yeah. Well, my oldest is going on 45 in June, and she was about two years old when uh, a John Birch coordinator came to our house and showed us a film strip, and we joined on the spot. I think the first book that I read was Nundale Call It Conspiracy. So that was a long time ago, maybe 77, 78. So I've been aware of what's been going on generally for all that, all this time. So that's my story in a nutshell. And then when Ken and I were dating, we had the same religion, we had the same politics, we had the same idea on money. So and other things so it was like a no-brainer so here we are 20 years there ago. yeah well i you know i talk with a lot of people that uh, they read the nundere call it conspiracy book by gary allen uh apparently millions of those sold at the time it was a little book pretty brief overview but I have uh, one of those too yeah yeah, yeah. i'll go get it go okay <laughs> yeah you know that's did that's you find been, the book Yes, I have. It's oh, okay. There we go. Right here. Yeah, it looks good. Uh, uh, that book, uh, None Dare Call It Conspiracy, that's been the only non, non-church book that was ever mentioned, uh, uh, requested that the, the members read at a general conference. And that was by Ezra Taft Benson, you know. Mm-hmm. Another thing, uh, too, I, I forgot to mention is this Dan Hansen. Uh, I don't happen to have a picture of him, but he uh, uh, 
he showed me a video. It's a VHS tape. And you you sent me to one on YouTube, but that's not the one I was looking for. Okay. This one, he was talking about uh, promoting the John Birch Society. And, and he says that uh, uh, he, he was a good friend of, of, of the founder, Robert Welch. And he was going to join it, but the church told him not to, to join the John Birch Society because it was too controversial. And with him being an apostle, he, uh, they, they told him not to join it, so he didn't. He says, however, they never told me that my family couldn't join it, and every one of my family members is a Birch member. So, <laughs> And he, he recommended that all, all, all other members at the church haven't told to stay away from the Birch Society to join it. And, uh, but when he died, his, his, uh, one of his sons come in and... Uh, and they they just didn't like the Birch Society, so they uh, uh, they took that video and got rid of it. And I told him I'd like to have it. I said, if you're going to throw it away, just give it to me. And he said, there's no such video. Well, I know that wasn't true because I'd seen it, you know. Right. And uh, I oh. I don't know where the book Lundaer hmm. called a conspiracy is, but here's a picture of Dan Hansen. Here's a picture of Dan Hansen. That uh, this is the guy that got me into the Birch Society. I can go get that. Uh -huh. You know where it is? Okay. Yeah, I was, okay. I was Dan Hansen's secretary for several years in a very unique situation. Um, I helped him answer phones and write up grouping contract estimates. And when he hired someone else to join the staff, he sent me to his sister's office to help her with Nevada Eagle Forum. Okay. I was on his payroll the whole time. Huh. And so. You got a lot I, of experience there. Yeah, I was with Eagle Forum and the Independent American Party. In fact, Ken and I helped gather signatures to put the Independent American Party on the Nevada ballot. Okay. Here's just. Yeah. Here's just. Oh, there's Yes. This is, it's got his price tag on there. Can you see it? Looks like a whole dollar. Dollar, yes. Yep, and this is, uh, you know, I'd had this book for years, probably for about 25, 30 years, and I just, we just had a friend that says that she, she heard about that and got a copy of it off Amazon. It was a used one, and uh, just read that the other day. We're always teasing each other about reading books, you know, and how, uh, you know, did, did you read this book? No, I'm going to read that one, though. And then we keep teasing each other. How come you ain't read it? How come you? So without her saying anything, I, I said, was it a good book? I pretended I didn't know, you know. And, <laughs> and she said, yeah, it was. It's really good and everything. It's really interesting. Yeah, I ought to get it to you and let you read it. And I said, okay, I might have a copy. Let me look and see. And the next time I seen her, I thought I read that book, you know. <laughs> so she couldn't. <laughs> But I'd had it so many years and, and finally read this, but uh, it's most of this stuff is pretty common knowledge right now, you know, and especially if you've, if you've been in the Birch Society for any, any length of time, you know, uh, most of the stuff is common knowledge. But back then when this was, I don't know when this was even published. Uh, 1970, I believe. 71, yeah. 71? 70, yeah, 71. Yeah, and then first printing was 72. 
350,000 copies. Second printing is in March of 70, that was February 72. March of 72, they did a million 250,000 copies. And third printing was April of 72, 4 million copies. Oh, wow. And ours is so, old enough that the pages are yellow. Yeah. <laughs> I suppose, yeah. Well, yeah, the John Birch Society really blazed the trails, pioneered things for exposing what we call the deep state. Uh, first one was uh, in Invisible Government by Dan Smoot from 1962. But uh, yeah, that um, I was under, high school then. <laughs> yeah, I suppose. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's 1962. Oh, so, yeah, I was still in high school too. Yeah. So that was really the first book that the JBS did about um, what we call the insiders sometimes, the deep state. We, but we've done a lot of books about that, uh, you know, the establishment, the build out of pushing for a new world order, conspiring to undermine our freedoms, uh, different aspects of it. But yeah, that none dare call it conspiracy. I, that's amazing how many they move, how many copies and, and so many people became alert because of it. With the information that our friend bought it off of Amazon, I'm thinking maybe we should put in our trust all the political books go to Amazon so people can buy them. <laughs> Good, yeah. Uh, one thing here in this uh, conspiracy issue I'm looking I can't find it for some reason. Uh, oh, there it is. It's uh, one of the guys who was part of all of this was oh, good old, good old Rush Limbaugh. You know, uh, that guy, I used to listen to him, think he was great and everything, think he was just right on the money. But what really turned me against this guy, and I then I started listening to him a little closer, was when he said that the only way to save this country is to, is to vote in John McCain. And he said, there's no such thing as a Council of Foreign Relations. He says, so uh, if, if you speak about CFR on this program, it better stand for campaign finance reform. <laughs> So basically, uh, like this article from the magazine, it was saying that Rush Limbaugh just didn't want to talk about conspiracy at all on his show. Is that right? Or, or this can't. Yeah, well, are. what I noticed about him after that is, is, is uh, you know, I, I was shocked to see his, see his uh, uh, picture in an article there on the, uh, in the magazine. It's been quite a while since I read it, so I can't remember what it was, but. But I started noticing him and I thought, this guy's extremely brilliant. And people don't, I don't think, realize how brilliant he is. This is one guy that can take you almost to the truth and then keep talking and veer you off. And when he leaves you, you're so far away from the truth, you don't even realize you, he's taking you away, you know? And that's where he leaves you. And I thought, man, this guy is, this guy is, is sharp. And, uh, hmm. But yeah, he would not talk about the conspiracies or anything. He wouldn't talk about any of that stuff on there. And it just, and, and I got, uh, 
that's when I got to, got to thinking, well, you know, and he was so big, you know, he was, he was, he was the biggest, well, the biggest talk show host in the world next to Art Bell. Art Bell now mm-hmm. was, was one that was, was worldwide <clears throat> where Rush wasn't, you know, and mm-hmm. uh, he had listeners all over the world that Art Bell did. And I really liked Art Bell. Uh, and uh, uh, he put on a lot of controversial stuff. And uh, uh, I, I really liked him. But I got to thinking, can we really believe these talk show hosts? You know, they, 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 uh, uh, they're always talking about all this stuff. And, and then I noticed the one thing that I noticed about all of them, it's a common thread that runs through almost every one of them. In fact, I, I could say 99.99% of them. They all tell you all the bad stuff that's wrong with this country, but not one of them comes up with a solution. Mm. Nobody comes up yeah. with a solution. That's one thing I can say that really sets a bird society apart because they do come up with solutions on stuff. Like the last two issues of the of the, the bulletin have come up with solutions on what to do about all this voter fraud and stuff. We can't do nothing about what's happened, but they they're telling us ideas and stuff, what we could do to move forward to eliminate it so that we can get back to fair elections again. And, and in the last uh, New American, they had that one on, I can't remember his name, Ham or Hammer, uh, that guy that brought down Bonnie and Clyde. And, and he was the one that uncovered a voter fraud with Lyndon Baines Johnson when he got in the first time as oh, U.S. Okay. Senator in Texas. And how he'd stuffed the ballot boxes. They took it and got it into in front of the judges and stuff in court, and they'd done nothing about it. They just let him be seated. And uh, and what a what a travesty that guy was, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it shows us that voter fraud is not something that's new. N- no, and I if <laughs> if you ever read the book The Real Lincoln, you'll find out it's very old. Lincoln oh. had engaged in it also. Yeah, he, he, uh, uh, I don't know. Do you know what diesel therapy is? No. Diesel therapy is where it's like somebody from the government will pick you up. They'll put you in a van and they'll take you all over, all over the country, you know. Uh, and then uh, they don't let you out of the van only to use the bathroom and they, they feed you in the van. They do all this stuff and they take you all over and you don't know where you're at. They, when they finally let you go, if they let you go, they let you go in some, some like if they pick you up in Washington, like they did with one woman, they dropped her off in Florida. She had the clothes on her back. She had no ID. She had no money. She had nothing. Uh, they her out. Well, she had a heck of a time getting in touch with her family so they could wire her some money so she could get back. And Lincoln done the same thing with one of his, uh, uh, political opponents that he was running running against for, for president and he took him down down south and the south didn't want him so he had these people take him up and drop him off up in Canada and they took everything from him and uh, he had a heck of a time Boy. getting a job and scraping some money together by the time he got back to the United States the election was over and of course Lincoln had won because they didn't know where his opponent had gone you know and so and then oh, I hadn't heard you know, that story. That's interesting. Yeah, and then then he he'd uh, he'd had some of his uh, uh, 
um, people that were against him, like in the Senate and stuff, the Senate and the House, and, uh, and the press, he'd have them jailed if he didn't like what they were saying about him or, or you know, some of their policies and stuff. So mm. this stuff, it seems to be new to us, but it's been, it's been uh, business as usual in Washington since since well at least the 1860s and maybe even before you know it's uh, uh, mm. it's uh, once they're in power they get to write they get to write the history so it's they can they can kind of keep hidden what they want uh, to be hidden you know it's just right uh, it's like Gary Kasparov said about uh, uh, he, he was being interviewed one time and they said how uh, how popular uh, uh, George Bush was more popular than Putin. And he says, how do you know that? He says, you got a free press here. He says, but Putin, he owns the press in Russia. He <laughs> says, of course, he's got a better approval rating than, than Bush would have. You don't know. He said, if it was, if you had an honest press here, Bush might not be as popular as Putin, you know, which <sighs> makes a lot of sense. And Gary Kasparov, if, uh, probably you don't know, but he's he was world chess champion for, for over 20 years. He was from the Soviet Union, from, from uh, Baku, Azerbaijan is where he was from. But, uh, he ran against Putin and ended up in jail over there. And when he got out, he, he moved to New York and, and uh, has never gone back since. You know? Right, right. But, oh, wow. Well, uh, that's, that's quite a story. It's good to, good to know, you know, what... Sometimes there's things that... Uh, I guess change how we see the world, and sometimes there we get a little, uh, I guess, a checkup on uh, what's reality and what's maybe uh, myth, so to speak. Right? Uh, yeah. Good to, yeah. I really believed in a lot of those myths about the John Birch Society too for years. I was just, I'm, I'm a little bit slower to do that now on, on stuff because that was really a wake up call for me that uh, maybe things aren't, aren't as they appear, you know. Uh, there's a lot of smoke and mirrors in not in just in this country, but in the world, you know. Yeah, certainly, certainly. Well, uh, we, a little past uh, half hour, should, uh, should we open it up for questions or do you, do you want to? Sure. Yeah. yeah. You want to do that? Okay. Let's uh, let's see if anybody has some questions. Just un you gotta mute yourself, ask a question, mute yourself, all that. This is Lee Phipps talking. Uh, back when I was in high school in Hurricane, Utah, I uh, I think it was my junior year. And I think it was in 1972 <clears throat> that uh, they had a competition on writing an essay about the nun Derek Connell conspiracy, but I had no idea anything about the book itself prior to that. And, uh, and it was interesting to become aware of that there were some other people <clears throat> perhaps in the John Birch Society that uh, had connections to the public school there to use that book as a, 
essay uh, challenge to uh, read the book and make an essay about what you had read. And uh, anyway, that was my first uh, acquaintance with that book. <laughs> and uh, good book, huh? Yeah, it was a good book, and I I was. Me and a friend of mine were in uh, high school and Tokerville had a chapter and I think Hurricane probably had a chapter too, but, and uh, we were invited to come and listen. And so that was my first exposure to the JBS. <clears throat> but oh, yeah. It's interesting how conspiracy, uh, uh, how much uh, challenges that people who are on the right side of truth, how much they uh, got uh, the rent in of the deal sometimes back in the early days. <clears throat> yeah, it's a, it's a smear. Yeah. Kind of reminds me of what uh, some of these other groups like the Tea Parties went through and Trump to a certain level. They tried to uh, attack them and smear them with all kinds of bad names. You know, one more a little story about this uh, friend of ours that introduced me to this was Dan. He was always writing letters to the editor. And over in Reno, they got the Reno Gazette Journal over there. That's their main paper. They come out with what they call the Silver Pen Award. And, and what they do is they take all these letters to the editor and they decide each month who's wrote the best letter to the editor. Huh? And then what they do is they is they bring them in, they take a picture of them, and they put that they've won the Silver Pen Award. And so uh, they hated this guy, this Dan Hansen. They hated his guts. Anytime he wrote a, a, a letter in there, they They'd really edit it down, or else they wouldn't print it. And they'd, tell him, they'd write him a letter and tell him it's stupid. They'd never print anything like that or anything. Well, he had a pen name named Ian McGavin, and he he used to write in. He'd write something on Dan Hansen. He'd write one in on Ian McGavin, and they'd accept the one on Ian McGavin, but the one on Dan Hansen, they they'd send it back and they'd tell him it's stupid. They'd never print it, and so don't don't write to our paper anymore. Uh, uh, on well, they called him one time and they says, we'd like you to come down to the paper. And he says, what for? You know, they asked for Ian McGavin. So he, he answered the phone and, and they said, we'd like you to come down to the paper. And he says, what for? And uh, they says, well, you've won the silver pen award. Can you do that? And he said, well, I can't do it today. It'd have to take me a couple of days before I could get, get so I could come down there. And they said, that'd be fine. And, and uh, so they set up a date a couple of days later. <laughs> he could have gone down that day, but he couldn't do it then because, let me show you this picture here. Uh, these, these, these two pictures here, I don't know if you can see that. Yeah. Uh -huh. Yep. Okay. That was his disguise. Oh, gee. <laughs> and he kind of constantly knows. And so... He goes down there and, and uh, the no. girl says, what are you here for? And he said, the award. He says, the award, what award? And he said, that, 
that silver pin award. They couldn't wait to come down. And he's dressed in these real shabby clothes. He's kind of in his suit pants and stuff. Oh, there. But he had this dirty old coat on and these, these big overgrown shoes and stuff. And he was he, he looked like it was somebody that, that had just come out from under the bridge, you know. <laughs> and, and he went there. And he had Billy Bob teeth oh, in. Man. And, and, and yeah. so, <laughs> so the woman, she was, she was kind of in shock. She says, well, let me go get the editor. <laughs> so she went and got the editor. Oh, no. And uh, says, Ian McGavin's out here. So the guy comes out and, and uh, he's looking around. He says, where is he? <laughs> and she points to this dirty old guy over there and says, he's right there. And he said it was, he'd done his best to keep from laughing. He says, but the shock on that guy's face when he's seen him. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, uh, and so he said, well, he had to talk him into putting his picture in the paper. <laughs> they, they didn't want his picture. They just wanted an article. No but they went yeah. in and put the, the picture in and everything. And when this guy died, they, they, they put a real bad article in there about him and everything. And and uh, to this day, of course, if they happen to see this on YouTube, they might catch on to it. But to this day, and he died back in uh, uh, January 22nd of 02. To this day, they don't have a, 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 any idea that Ian, Madab, Ian McGavin and Daniel Hansen were the same person. And it was funny that they... <laughs> oh, man. We did not reveal it at the funeral. No, it was it, it was great that uh, <laughs> and everybody used to put that paper about that, and it was just oh, it, it was it was a great guy, and I, I'm sure I'm sure been blessed to have him in my life and to know him because that's that's the reason that that I am a Bircher today, you know. The <laughs> uh, yeah, I I've never tried that to do undercover. Um or whatever you might call it, uh, writing into the letters to the editor. That's a, that's a unique thing, but I, I suppose uh, <laughs> to try to get them to print his stuff, you never know. Could work. Well, I, I've decided wow. that, you know, of course, our little paper here, we don't, um, I don't write many letters in debt. It's just a little weekly paper, but, uh, but I, I thought if I just still lived in, in Reno Sparks area, that I, I'd come up with a pen name of uh, uh, Drew Phillip. You ever heard of that name? No. Switch it around. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> I got it. Yeah. So, I didn't think they'd catch on to it either. So <laughs> I thought that'd be a pretty good pen name to put, put it. Uh, yeah. Uh, Drew, Drew Phillip. So. Drew Phillip. Yeah. I like that. Wow. Well, that's, that's some good stories. I just, uh, oh, that's that was a good, funny one. It's nice to have some some things. You know, you look back at life and you sometimes you think, wow, this is just, you know, some funny story that I should share with somebody else and uh, help them, you know, see life's twists and turns and sometimes uh, how you how you find out things are not what they appear necessarily. So it's good to talk about getting getting over those uh, misunderstandings as we like to call them, right? Well, yeah. and, you know, what, what got me is this guy was in the, it seemed like if there was a battle, he was in the middle of it. 
you know, mm. and, and, and I, I've known so many people that I'm just sick of this. I, I'd like to kill this guy. I'd like to kill that guy. And, and this guy never got like that. He always, he, he was, he was always in the fight, but he always had a good attitude and he was always like this Ian McGavin stuff. He was always able to think on his feet. How am I going to keep them from knowing who I am? Because once he went down there, they knew who he was. Once he went down there and looked like him, mm-hmm. they'd never print another one of his letters. And so, <laughs> uh, so he's able to think on his feet, but still maintain his sense of humor. And I, I, I've always admired that about him, you know. And he was courageous. He went to the Sparks City Council <laughs> to oppose the name of a street to be changed. And the original name was Audie Boulevard. And Senator Audie was an amazing political person. He was a statesman, not just political. And they wanted to change it to Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard. Mm. Dan Hansen went down and said, no, Martin Luther King hasn't done anything for Sparks. He hasn't done anything for Nevada. Name a, a new street out in Northeast Sparks and name one of those after him, but not Audie Boulevard. Well, he went over his time. He refused to stop talking. He was arrested, basically. Went to court. The judge said that he was guilty and his fine was his, whatever you call it, his. He had, uh, the judge was a friend of his <laughs> and says, I'm going to have to uh, uh, to fine you. Uh, to 100 hours of community service. And he says, okay. And he says, now your community service, I'm going to set what it has to be. It can't be just anything you want. You're going to have to go into Sparks High and you're going to have to teach these kids about the Constitution of the United States. (laughs) And he says, I object to that. And the judge says, what are you talking about? He says, it's only 100 hours. (laughs) He, yeah. he he wanted he wanted more, but but he did go in there and teach that. But it was funny; he was the only one that objected to it out of the whole town, you know. Right. And, and Reno and Sparks combined, it's about two hundred thirty thousand people. He was the only one that objected to it, and they said they weren't going to do it. But he got in there with the history of Audie, of how he was a state senator. I think he was even a U.S. senator at one time for a while. He had quite a history. And but he. He laid out his whole history, when he was born, what he'd done, where he went to school, everything. He'd done his research and went in there. Well, when it was all we're done with, today, that street is named Audie Boulevard still. The one out there wow. in, in Northeast Sparks, where they had that new subdivision, where he told him to put that Martin, that's Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard. So uh. a lot of people think, well, you know, I can't do anything. This guy believed there was nothing he couldn't do. I mean, just he was the only person that objected. And the whole city council, which I think was about six or seven councilmen, you know, and the mayor and stuff, they all went along with it. He did get arrested, you know, and he mm-hmm. didn't make the paper again, you know, <laughs> and uh, the paper kind of embellished on what, what happened there. But, uh, but he got his way. He got his way. And that street is still Audie Boulevard there in Sparks instead of changing the name of it, you know. And uh, he's, he's wow. uh, one person can make a difference. And one uh, person can make a difference. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, it certainly shows. Um, it's good to keep a good sense of humor. I know uh, Jonathan McManus, the president of the John Birch Society, well, emeritus status now, he would say if you're, if you're birching and you're not having fun, you're doing it wrong. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's great. Yeah, this is, I think, I think we're going to start building up down here in Cedar City. I, I, I was really encouraged about those other people coming. And uh, we, we've also joined their group and, and uh, we haven't been making all their meetings, but, uh, but they, they kind of agreed to, to keep the first Thursday open and, and try and get their members to come to the Birch and see if we can get them to join this one and, and uh, uh, see if we can't get a little bit stronger voice down here. Well, the camaraderie is developing. Yeah, it is. It really mm, is. That's so. good. Yeah, that makes a makes a difference, right? Makes it more fun when you're able to have some friends and enjoy your time together. Yeah, well, and, and very much. And if we can get them to read these bulletins every month, and we can go there and discuss the bulletins. And and there's a lot of, uh, you know, we got thirty or forty people that's all read the bulletin, and they come there with thirty or forty different views on what they just seen out of that. You know, you can you can come up with a, a real good solution as to as to how to to attack it for for our local area. You know, so that's right. That's right. Uh, well, uh, any other questions uh, for Ken and Carolyn? Hey, uh, Ken and Carolyn, I uh, was wondering what, if you had a phone number or an address that uh, if I uh, contact anybody I know in your area that would be interested in participating. Yeah. Uh, Mike, are you ready to write? Yes. My phone number is is uh, 435-817-1404. Okay. And that's Kenneth, uh, K-E-N-N-E-T-H, and that's B-A-U-E-R. B-A-E. No, B-A-E. U E R. Oh, okay. Thank you. All right. Appreciate that. Yeah, appreciate that. Yeah. It's a good idea if you know anybody that down in this end in this around the Cedar City area that uh you'd be interested in it. Why uh, we appreciate knowing about them. Yeah. I I did leave one thing out. When I was in my early years in Reno, Nevada, the John Birch Society chapter leader would have us over to her house. And after a discussion of the current news and topic, she would hand out paper and a pen and have us write a short letter to a representative. And she said that she would be mailing them the next day. So having something to write about and a person to write it to, I think made a difference. Yeah, definitely. That's uh, kind of the theme of doing like a, an information and action meeting or dinner, certainly, um, mm -hmm. right? Take action and um, yeah. have some fun, get some information, ed education. So we, we need yeah. to try to strive to do that here. 
yeah, it's uh, back in the day, I guess they used to do postcards, but uh, you know, nowadays we can do with email and phone calls and postcards too, right. and letters, right? This is pre-email day. Yeah, a few years back, I suppose. Yeah. yeah. And boy, that sure works too. It it's just we uh, when we was in in uh, Reno, we went to Carson City one time to lobby on I don't know a couple of bills that uh, they, that had come up, and we talked to one of the uh, was it an assemblywoman or is she a senator that that told us it was one of them anyway, and. And uh, she said, this, this is really effective with you people showing up because do you know how these numbers work? And we says, no. And she says, we figure ever, every person that makes a phone call, we multiply that by 10 because it's pretty easy to pick up the phone and, 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 uh, and, and call us, you know. Uh, if somebody goes to, a, to and sends us an email, we multiply that by about 20. You know, and because uh, everybody's got a computer at their house, and you know they can they can just go. That was before it was come out on the cell phones and stuff. Uh, and we figured that you know it, it it doesn't take too much time or effort to do that. And if uh, if they if they sit down and write us a letter, we multiply that by about uh, five hundred. You know, because that takes a lot more time. You have to take the money for the stamp and stuff. And so for for everyone that writes a letter in there, they multiply that by 500 because there's another 500 people that feel just like they do, but didn't want to take the time to write the letter and put the stamp on it and in the envelope and stuff. And if you actually show up, you know, at the, at the meeting, at the hearing, <laughs> they multiply that by a thousand. Because they figure there's a thousand people out there that feel the same way that couldn't get off work or whatever the circumstances were, they couldn't travel or whatever. But uh, so it's very effective, even even writing letters and stuff, especially if you do a handwritten letter. That the multiplication of that goes way way up, which I, I never realized. But but she says that's how they multiply it out to figure out, uh, you know, like licking her finger and hold it in the wind, you know, and that's, yeah, that's kind of right. what they do on that. And it, it, it kind of gives them a, a little bit of a, uh, a thermometer on, on, on what the temperature is of, of the public out there. So certainly so they do respond to pressure. They really do, you know. Yeah. Very responsive by, by nature. They have to be, of course, I suppose, because uh, every, well, for us house, every two years they're elected They have to face another election and ask for, voters to send them back right well i'm wondering if if i think this last two bulletins are very crucial on that because if we don't get this voter fraud straightened out it won't make any difference it'll be just like lennon said it don't matter who votes it only matter who counts the votes right you know? yeah underscores so the importance of that campaign for sure so right or or what what uh what electronic machine is 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 uh, tabulating the votes? You know, I just and I'd like to see him get rid of all of that stuff. Just go back to the paper ballots and stuff, and, and uh, uh, yeah, know, go vote in person, except for military and some people that are in a rest home or something like that. Uh, allow them to uh, uh, 
to vote by mail, you know, that. Uh, yeah, that's right. It's uh, uh, this just everybody getting a mail-in ballot. It's just that just opens it up to so much fraud. It's it's, it's unbelievable. We just may as well not even vote. That's why I, I, I like to shock people on this when I try and get them to involved in this to to uh, uh, start putting pressure on our legislators to change some of these voting laws. I tell them, do you hear that Romney's getting back in? And when they said, I don't think he can be voted back in, I said, it doesn't matter if he's voted back in or not. If that voting machine wants him in, he's in. That's a good way to get people's attention, huh? Yeah, and, and it does. They, well, it can. I said, did you, did you vote for Biden? No, I didn't. I said, is he in? It don't matter who votes. It only matters who counts votes. So, I brought up the web page of Restore Election Integrity. Certainly, we'll recommend our viewers and uh, listeners as well. If you if you were just listening, uh, jbs.org/vote. Very simple, jbs.org/vote, and uh, have a action campaign called Restore Election Integrity. You can find out uh, you know, what what we recommend, tools you can use, uh, things you can do. To, uh, and also education that you could get for yourself and others. You know, uh, Ooh, I, I like I, that. Like part, to, part the Motor, motor uh, Voter Act. <laughs> we'd like to be able to print some of these things that are on the website, but we can't get them to print large enough and within an allotted space, an eight and a half by 11 to be readable. So what do we have to do, copy and paste? Yeah, you probably need to do copy and paste if it's on the website. It's just the, the formatting of it. You can put it into a, um, a Word file, I suppose, something like that. Okay. And, uh, that. Yeah, but we also have a, uh, we're going to have a reprint on this from the latest issue of The New American. The cover, uh, let me see if I've got it here. I think it's the same artwork. Bring it up here. Not that one. Right here. Uh, yes. Everybody see that? Maybe I should make it bigger, huh? Here, I'll, I'll unshare the screen. Email me this one oh, if you could. There we go. Oh, actually. Okay. Hold it up to the right camera. Oh. There we go. Did you get that in the mail? Yes, we did. I think, yeah. I think we do have that one. Real good article. Yeah, that'll be easy to copy. Yeah, I think this will be in uh, probably as a reprint. So real good. And then how it goes we, into. How do we learn which ones are going to be reprinted? Or they all are. It, well, it just depends on how much demand there is. And then there's a decision at headquarters that, you know, we, we need more reprints of this because people want it. Sometimes it's just because they, so many people like the magazine itself, they run out of copies and they say, well, okay, let's reprint this certain article out of the magazine, something like that. But you can always go to thenewamerican.com and uh, back dot to com this, or .org? Dot com. Dot com? Oh. Yeah. That's or you can go to shop TNA, so shop T, oh, the new American, the new American, that's right. Dot org. And uh, you can click on reprints and find out all the reprints they have available. They have print reprints. They also have downloads. Some of them are not, some of them available, both formats, some just one format. 
But uh, yeah, it's nice to nice to have. Sometimes things are in clearance. You can get a lot of copies for cheap. <laughs> yeah. So good to, yep. Know your resources. That's right. All right. Well, we're right up against the hour. Uh, any parting thoughts, Ken and Carolyn? Uh, something to leave our listeners, viewers with? Never give up. Yeah. And just keep working on people. That's what they did with me. And it was just it was pretty subtle on how they changed my mind. And I didn't realize how wrong I was. And that's hard. To, that's real hard for anybody to admit that they've been wrong. You know, <laughs> it, was a, yes. it was good for me. Real good for me. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I've, I've been kind of a conspiracy nut. That's what all my friends have always thought about me for quite a while. But, uh, you know, this election and I think the next one and the next one is going to show that we're not as conspiratorial nuts as they think we are, that, uh, that uh, we've been right on the money for, for a long time, you know. And it just. Yeah. The Birch Society, they just, they really do their homework before they put it in print. They, I remember they were wrong on one thing, and that was on Clinton uh, uh, having that black woman have his baby. And all the news media and everybody jumped on that. And then when, when they'd done a DNA test, they found out it wasn't. The Birch oh. Society said they'd never do that again. Their news might be a little late, but it's going to be accurate. And, and it's it's always been, except for that one time that uh, uh, hmm. they're, they're, I think, probably the most accurate source that we have out there for, for pushing back on this, on this tyranny that we're, that we're facing today. Yeah, just, I don't think there's any, they're head and shoulders above everybody else that I've ever seen, so. Yeah, very, very valuable. Mm -hmm. Well, it's good to have you both on, Ken and Ken. fun. Yes, thank you so much. It has been fun. And I, yeah. uh, hopefully we can, uh, you know, keep pushing forward. As you say, never give up. We've got to keep an open mind on things. And uh, I'll just kind of close it out. Thank you for everyone for watching, for listening to Birching the West today. Uh, make sure if, uh, if you have a desire to help out with the billboards, uh, we always like to put a plug in for that. Uh, my email is estahl, S-T-A-H-L, at jbs.org. Uh, let me know. I'd like to help it get up. Uh, we're, we're making headway. Thank you to those who have helped out with that. And we want to spread the word, help people know we're out there, help uh, people know that there's somebody with solutions like, uh, like Ken pointed to. So uh, glad you all could be on Virtually the West. Make sure you like, share, subscribe, comment, whatever you want to do with this and uh, spread the word because uh, we need to make sure we spread the word for freedom. So thank you everyone for being on.